I think for me, it's it's stay curious. Like I, I, that I like I, when I write my um, my newsletter. Like I always just end everything with stay curious because to me that that just allows you to be open to what's happening around you. If you're if you're curious, you avoid like judging new things, new ideas. You you keep your mind active and and open. So um, I just wish more people would just be curious and have less like really. Strong opinions about things that they maybe don't have enough information about. So, so just stay open, stay curious, and um, yeah, that's kind of my my philosophy. You're plugging in to the Digital Assets Podcast. Welcome, uh, Michael, to the Digital Assets Podcast. Uh, we are so excited to have you here. And as I said previously before recording, to actually focusing on a theme, which today will be DeFi, which is very interesting. And especially after the CeFi collapse S <laughs> around the world. And also specifically because it's actually your area of expertise and uh, probably also uh, interest uh, naturally so welcome it's a pleasure to have you here happy to be here thanks for having me yeah so uh just to like get an understanding for the listeners of who you are and kind of your background very classical kind of intro but like could you just describe shortly like your experience uh before you became like the founder of this DeFi report and also kind of what to what it what the DeFi report is, but also what motivated you to start off this project, which has been a very big success. Cool. Um, yeah, happy to happy to dig into some of that. So, um, yeah, like most people in in kind of I guess that are focusing on DeFi today, uh, came from something called traditional finance, which uh, typically we used to just call that finance, and now we have and now we call it traditional <laughs> finance. So, um, I spent about ten years in commercial real estate. Uh, started off um, actually in a in a family office, so I worked in a family office, helped manage um, the, the the wealth of high net worth individuals, and then I moved over to um, a large office REIT called Boston Properties. So I helped do finance accounting uh, for some of the largest you know office towers in the Boston area, um, and then I uh, had the opportunity. I was really lucky to uh, move over to MIT. So I, I worked at MIT's endowment where we managed um, the the real estate assets for for their uh, endowment fund. And um, just being at MIT, it was just like really inspiring place to be with lots of different technologies that are being developed and researched and was lucky enough to, to learn about blockchain when I was at MIT in 2017. And that's really kind of where the, the crypto journey and, and the, the DeFi report journey began. Um, and so as I started to really kind of dig into what was happening with some of these innovations, I was having a lot of conversations with friends and family that that many of whom you know work in technology or or finance, and was having trouble like articulating or at least um, getting getting clarity around like my research and sharing that. So I ended up just starting writing, uh, and so that was kind of the genesis of the DeFi report. It it wasn't uh, some grand plan or anything. It was really just me doing lots of research and then finding a way to. To organize my research, get it out into the market, and get feedback, um, and so so that's really that started about a couple of years ago. Um, the DeFi report is essentially a exploration of the Web three tech stack. So it's called the DeFi report. We do cover 
most of the, the new business models within Web3. And um, laser focused um, because of my accounting and finance background. So laser focused on data. So really just looking at data and then like focusing on an, analyzing various protocols, blockchains, um, businesses built on top of the blockchains from like from the new business model perspective. So just staying laser focused on data, what these new business models are doing uh, and just kind of breaking that down and trying to assess where value is going to accrue uh, within this this emerging tech stack. So so that's the DeFi report. That's that's most of the journey uh, right there. I, uh, yeah, well, I guess uh, it's, it's been a short but uh, long journey at the same time, especially <laughs> in regards to most of the other people within uh, this uh, space, you could say. Um, That's right. Uh, I think in five years or so, and you're you're like a you're a veteran. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you've seen it all. Um, but I guess, given your now extended ex uh, long experience within uh, DeFi, can you maybe explain DeFi in simple terms and how it actually differs from traditional finance? Mm -hmm. I just also want to add here how it how you would kind of your younger self maybe like five years ago would would define DeFi versus today if, if you have like the same view sure yeah so i think one thing that i've i've noticed a lot of is there are you know when you're dealing with technology and certainly crypto where it's this new thing and there's like these new step changes that are occurring we tend to like try to find words to explain these really abstract concepts and sometimes the words we pick are uh sort of actually add to more confusion than than clarity and so i think like you know an example of this is just the term cryptocurrency is is sort of a misnomer right anybody who actually works in the industry knows that that's like not even a real thing uh, but i think most people on the outside in look at they see that and it just causes confusion right off the bat so for DeFi, the way i like to to talk about DeFi is is it's not decentralized finance but it's actually new business models for finance and so the what I what I sort of anchor to and, and why I'm seeing just new business models is there's essentially three net new things that are occurring on blockchains that are changing some of these business models. And the first one is open data. So, you know, public blockchains are open data networks, and that differs from a lot of the, the data networks in Web2 that are really more closed uh, data networks, right? So, so you start with open data where anybody can audit the data network Anybody can, you know, participate in validating the data network. Anybody can run um, run a node or or you know download the software. So it's it's fully open. We can all look at the data. We can all audit the data. We can all um, access the data. So that's number one. And then you have autonomous compute, right? So now that's where smart contracts come into play. So open data, autonomous compute with smart contracts that can run autonomously and, and help to like. For, uh, formalize two-sided marketplaces. That's number two. And then you have user-controlled data, right? So these are all three net new things that when you combine them, you end up with new business models, right? So an example of this, when you start to look at DeFi, which is really just financial services that then come, that are, that are uh, essentially the output of those three things. An example in DeFi would be like a lend borrow application where a smart contract essentially allows for a two-sided marketplace to form where lenders and borrowers can come together and and allow financial financial services to occur with really without a, a central inter intermediary in the way 
And because the users are controlling their data, right, which was a third prong there, this is what allows this to occur, right? Because I can control my data, I can send that data into a smart contract, and then somebody else can access that data. Um, I'm doing that by connecting a wallet to an interface, to a website, right? And if I don't like the experience that I have with that, I can just take my assets, connect my wallet to another interface. That's like switching banks, right? But it's but it's happening with the, the click of a, a mouse in DeFi. Yeah. So and, and permissionless as well. And permissionless, exactly. So permissionless access. Um, so th that's kind of how I describe DeFi. Um, there are, you know, the, the primary business models out there today are like the lend and, lending and borrowing decentralized exchanges. Those are like the two most powerful. Um, insurance is another one. We have a number of derivative platforms today, obviously payments. Um, but that's kind of the, that's kind of how I anchor this is just, okay, we have these, this new technology that's enabling new things, which creates new business models. And you tend to see the, the, the revenues and the value creation get pushed out to service providers versus to more centralized entities. And that's that's kind of the the end output is that mm -hmm. is that you actually push value to the edges away from the center. Uh, yeah. So. And uh, I really I really like how you phrase it in terms of new business models. Because I, I, I'm I presume maybe you have actually are using this uh, maybe you are using this platform, but we have two people or Sebastian Robin in our organization here that are working at the startup called Token Terminal. Have you yep. looked into it? Yeah, I, uh, yeah. I use I work closely with with their team, so yeah, ah, I, use, okay. I use their software. I, I work with a lot of the data providers, but yes, I'm I'm close with the team over there. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, super. That's cool. Uh, and and that's a perfect way of kind of because when you go into Token Terminal and you start looking into it, and especially now when they have added the kind of financial statement equivalent uh, dimension, uh, then it becomes so clear what like when we say new business model, it could still be abstract for some people, but I think it's a very good way to phrase it because then you can see that like for all these people that are from finance as you were, that may think that, oh, but crypto, it's, it has no intrinsic value. There are no cash flows. And then you go in there and you realize, oh, but there are equivalents and there are very, very kind of many similarities, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And just to, to um, drill into that a little bit more. So an example of the new business model for a lending and borrowing, and you can go to Token Terminal and and look up, you know, Aave, for example. And what you will see is that, okay, there's a two-sided marketplace getting formed and the borrowers are paying interest directly to the lenders, right? And so about 90% of the interest payment goes directly to the lender. And then the protocol, which is Aave, takes about 10%, right? So if you were to compare that business model to traditional banking, you know, you would you would see that the bank issues a loan out to somebody, the 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 borrower pays the bank directly on that interest, and then the bank shares like 0.001% with with you as the depositor. Um, so you just you know you can see that okay because we have this new kind of data structure, uh, we end what the final output is that the revenues are pushed to the the periphery versus mm -hmm. being captured in the center, and that's the new business model. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, in regards to the value that these new business models uh, produce compared to the more traditional ones, uh, I think it kind of parallels uh, the recent article you wrote where you delved into aggregation theory. And, uh, you know, you gave examples of how this applied to Web 2 and now how this is now extended into uh, Web 3. Could you maybe delve into that a bit? Because I thought it was actually a very interesting 
a perspective towards these new what we can call business models sure yeah that's a good question and yeah that's one of the things that i'm i'm constant constantly trying to look back at past periods and try to understand what happened in the past because i think we can't really project what's going to happen with with web3 and, and DeFi unless we understand you know how things played out and why they played out that way so yeah aggregation theory is just the idea that um the winning business models of web2 basically aggregate they aggregate content uh in some way so like the, the one way to think about this is like the newspaper business uh, was essentially disrupted by uh by google because google has the ability to aggregate all of the content on the internet right so that disrupts the newspapers like distribution advantage that they had which is really geographic right so now everything goes digital google solves the search problem they aggregate all the content and then you see this this massive disruption to the the like traditional newspaper business model so what so so it's it's kind of like this this idea of aggregation theory is identifying who who the incumbents are that that have control today and then like what is the thing that's allowing them to have that that control so when you think of like DeFi, for example, what is the thing that like really matters? Liquidity, right? So who can aggregate the most liquidity? Because that, you know, coming back to aggregation, who can aggregate the most liquidity and then provide, create a, a sticky relationship with their users and provide services around that liquidity? Because in DeFi, you can, it's, there's this idea of composability with, with open source technologies where the code is open source. And so any other business can like tap into something like a Uniswap or tap into Aave and build something on top of that. And you can see this like rapid innovation because of the composability, um, because it's open source technology. So that's one way I try to think about like where does value accrue is like, to me, the most important thing in DeFi is, is aggregating liquidity. And then developing a sticky relationship with your users so that they're they're accessing that liquidity through your interface um, and your smart contracts. So I don't know if that answers the, yeah. the question, but that's kind of one one framework that I like to think through uh, as I think about Web three and, and DeFi. Uh, in that article as well, uh, you, you came to the conclusion. You may correct me if I maybe interpret it wrong. Sure. Where the application and the infrastructure within Web3 um, uh, is the place where the most value will accrue. Uh, could you explain how you came to that conclusion and why, why exactly these are the places that will become? Sure. Yeah, the so there's, there's, um, there's some interesting um, theses out there on like what, how this is going to play out. And if you look at Web2, what you'll see is that, you know, almost all of the value accrued to the application layer of the tech stack. And that's where, you know, Netflix and Google and Amazon and all these, you know, behemoths sit there at the, at the application layer. And the infrastructure is the protocols, right? That's like the TCP IP, the uh, SMTP, HTTP, the, the infrastructure that powers those business models. And so when you look at Web3, there's this idea of like the FAT protocol thesis. This was, uh, I believe it was Joel Monegro from US Union Square Ventures. And I'd recommend your listeners like take a look at that. He he wrote about this, I think it was in 2016. And really what he was looking at was uh, he was comparing Bitcoin to Coinbase. So he's working at a venture capital firm. They had invested in Coinbase, which did very, very well. And they invested in multiple rounds of Coinbase. But what they had noticed was 
at each at each round that they had invested and done very well, Bitcoin actually outperformed Coinbase. So Bitcoin's the, the infrastructure and Coinbase is the app. So now all of a sudden you can own the infrastructure in Web3 and that looks like it's sort of TCP IP, HTTP, right? It looks like the, the new protocols and we can own those through cryptocurrency. So that's that's one theory that the infrastructure is actually going to accrue the most value. And the reason for this is uh, that is powering, you know, everything on top of it, right? So mm -hmm. if every application, you know, there's 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 over 3,000 applications built on Ethereum today, every single one of them, when a user goes to that application and, and does anything, you know, value accrues to Ethereum at the mm -hmm. base there because there's no free lunch in crypto. I think people think yeah. this is not backed by anything, but there's a, there's a gas fee to literally every single thing that happens on Ethereum. And that gets... Mm that gets paid out to the distributed set of validators. Yeah. Again, new business model, right? It's pushing value mm -hmm. outward. Um, so that's one theory that's out there, but we're also like something that we can't dismiss is the idea that, you know, going back to the aggregation theory, if, if the really popular applications are able to um, aggregate liquidity on top of Ethereum. So if we took like Uniswap, for example, if Uniswap can aggregate liquidity as they as they are doing they control about 75 percent of the dex market um and they can create that sticky relationship with their users they can start to integrate um vertically within the tech stack they could develop their own wallet they could potentially move take their users with them and move to another block and create their own app chain right we're starting to see some of the this is i wrote about this in that that piece that you referenced we're starting to see some early signs that this could play out. DYDX is the largest um, derivatives platform today, and they are moving uh, from Ethereum. They're on a layer two on Ethereum, and they're moving to their own app chain on Cosmos. So that'll be interesting to follow that and see, you know, there are several trade-offs to doing that. Um, they're going to be able to control the tech stack uh, vertically, but they have to bootstrap their own validators. They have to bootstrap liquidity. They have to bring all their users over. Um, there are certainly many things within the Ethereum network and the network effects around Ethereum that they benefit from. So they're going to lose some of that. Um, but the, that's kind of the where I'm at. So I think it's, it's you know, this is a moving target. Like we're still very early in the development of these technologies. So the infrastructure is, is certainly still where most of the value is accruing, but that should start to move up the tech stack as we go. Um, and that's one thing I'm watching for is, are these applications going to continue to drive value down to Ethereum or down to these other layer ones, or are they potentially going to leave Ethereum and go to like an app chain type type thing? So, mm. yeah, that's very interesting to because I think that's a premise that is usually kind of blindly accepted that prem that Ethereum the Ethereum uh, network will just continue to extract like so much value of all this application, and there will be no doubt that everything will be within that ecosystem. Right. And that's, uh, I think that's a prevailing thought. And there's, there's a, there's a, um, there is a network effect around Ethereum. And I think it makes sense to have that, that theory because you have just the, the largest group of developers on Ethereum. You have lots of infrastructure around uh, developer tooling, around programming language, um, you know, with Solidity, with around the EVM. So you have like this, this inertia just around that network effect that's, that's taking place. And so I think the way I sort of think about it is like if I'm a developer 
and I want to start a, uh, a business, I'm probably going to pick Ethereum because Ethereum mm. has all of this infrastructure around it. And that's going to allow me to sort of like launch my project with, with more ease. And, mm. and there's a bunch of liquidity around there. There's a lot of users, right? I, I'll probably be able to scale faster. Um, so I sort of see it as like this uh, bootstrapping, you know, mechanism for any startup. And then it's to be determined if those if those uh, applications get really large, if they stay on Ethereum. And, and, and a part mm-hmm. of that will depend on how Ethereum scales, right? How the user experience continues to improve for these applications. If, if you have a business and your job is to create a, the best user experience you possibly can, and you can't do it on Ethereum, then I'm sure that these these founders will start to look at other options. So it's it's mm-hmm. kind of um, that's that's kind of the cadence of kind of how I see it how I see it going. That's super interesting yeah. that um, there's there's becoming a competition throughout the stack, not just uh, through applications. For example, you can think of like Uber Eats versus another food delivery app. Mm-hmm. Uh, now there's actually uh, competition below within the protocols uh, for you know optimization in terms of gas fees scalability etc uh, that's super cool i never thought about it in that way but that, that's very exciting yeah because i think like the interesting part here is that like if you make it very very simple and you think like you know mike Saley of the world he often wants to refer that like only bitcoin is like only a piece of manhattan but you could also use the same argument for ethereum like you you want to own the land where which like all the city this beautiful city will be will be built upon but then you can also, you know, just imagine that maybe this is not in New York. You may think it's in New York, but maybe New York would be built some other place. So it's, yeah, uh, yeah it's interesting, actually. So uh, yeah. with that, then, I, I, I'm curious, how has the DeFi landscape uh, changed over the years now since you first got into this? And uh, based on this, I guess, inertia that's been building up, uh, as, as you stated, where do you see it heading into the future? So yeah, so it, it I think DeFi sort of came onto the scene in 2020. So it's mm-hmm. you know we're we're just a couple of years into this. It's almost like uh, you know when you go back to like the early days of Bitcoin. Um, if you were early on Bitcoin, you were like, you know, you were involved with it in like 2011, 2012 or so. And I would say that's kind of where we're at with DeFi right now. So it kind of came onto the scene DeFi summer. There were a number of liquidity um programs i would say and so you'll this is a theme you'll see with a lot of web3 applications that use tokens as a way to incentivize some sort of behavior in the market and so what was happening was i think compound which is a lending and borrowing application they were the first ones to do this but they were using tokens to incentivize uh liquidity um for for lenders to like you know basically bootstrap these pools of liquidity for the lending and borrowing markets. And that just kicked off um, a a number of competitors doing the same thing. And you saw like a ton of activity within within the DeFi space. So over the last couple of years, um, what, what what I'm looking to see is like, is the ability for institutions to start to use DeFi. Because I don't, I don't have this view that uh, DeFi is going to like, disrupt the banks necessarily i think it's i think i view it more as infrastructure that the banks may be able to tap into um and and to utilize this this new these new protocols and so what i what i'm looking to see is like you know ave 
uh, created this permissioned pool where you where they require KYC AML, right? Which which is sort of like antithetical to many people in the the crypto space. But it's the only way that an institution can access these pools because they're not they have to understand uh, the nature of their counterparty, right? So if they go mm -hmm. into a pool and they access a loan, they have to be able to prove that. Um, they're not dealing with somebody from on a terrorist list or a sanction list or, or you know, somebody from North Korea or something like that. So there are rules that they have to follow and they just can't access DeFi unless there's um, permissioned pools to do so. So that's one area I'm looking. So Aave launched, uh, I believe it's called Aave Arc, and that's um, it's still really nascent, still not 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 a ton of liquidity in there. But I'm looking for KYC AML to come to some of these solutions I'm looking to see, you know, MakerDAO um, did some is is really pushing into uh, real world assets, right? So they did a deal with uh, Tesla. So Tesla is financing some, you know, real estate collision centers in the United States using loans from MakerDAO. So I'm looking to see more. You know, DeFi has really been like this experiment that's really been uh, sort of ring fenced just to like on chain lending and borrowing, on-chain swapping of crypto assets, right? It's really just this like um, sort of casino of financial activity just contained within crypto, which I think it has to be to, to, to start, right? We have to prove these concepts out using crypto native, um, crypto assets, crypto native mm -hmm. use cases. And then we can, we can sort of prove that the smart contracts work and eventually start to get bridge out to the real world. So um, mm. looking to see more real world activity, right? This is not mm. going to, you're not going to sustain DeFi with just crypto native stuff. So you do need like to see real estate loans. You need to see mm. fixed rate lending. We don't have any, um, real fixed rate lending. And there's some interest swap, uh, interest rate swap protocols being built that are going to facilitate that. Um, you know, everything is over collateralized today mm -hmm. right that's that's not super capital efficient so you really need to get to the point where we can we can find other ways to um to create some more capital efficiency within DeFi. Mm -hmm. um, so those are some of the areas that i'm looking at. i'm seeing all of this i'm seeing a lot of entrepreneurs out there you know building and and bringing these solutions to the market so it's exciting um but it's still super super early and, and what mm -hmm. i try to focus on like i said is like what is fundamentally happening with the business models and then what is that, you know, what is what are the outputs of that? And I have enough conviction on that, that that like, OK, we can trust that like human ingenuity is going to bring some interesting solutions around that. Mm -hmm. But uh, to summarize your kind of uh, key points here, correct me if I'm wrong, but mm -hmm. you then say then maybe that like KYC compliance in connection also with uh, or, 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 or also kind of in addition this kind of real world activity connection with um, the DeFi world, that those could function as two main drivers or catalysts for institutional adoption? And if so, would you also say that there are other aspects or are these two the most kind of uh, important ones? I would say those are probably the two most important. They're, you know, institutions, the other, the other challenge is privacy. So, um, you know, one of the sort of misnomers about public blockchains is that, you know, the reason that the one of the reasons the institutions don't want to use them today is because they actually don't want to be, they don't want the transparency. They want to be, you know, on a private network where they have that privacy. So um, with DeFi, you do have transparency. 
you have that permissionless access to it. Um, they need privacy. So zero knowledge proofs are another interesting area of development where you could have privacy on a public blockchain, but you could also prove that something happened. For an example mm -hmm. of this is like uh, if you go to a bar, you know, when you show your ID to the bouncer, you typically reveal your your age, right? And all they need to know is that you're over 21 or, or over 18. Um, and you end up giving them your age, your date of birth, your weight, where you live, your address. And so the idea with like a zero knowledge proof is that you'd be able to prove that you are over 21 without revealing any other information about yourself. And so that gets interesting where, okay, we have the data. It is on this public blockchain, so we can audit that data. But the privacy for like an institution is still attainable uh, as well. Um, so I think privacy is, is the other piece. Um, and, you know, there's regulation as well as, as the one. And we could talk about regulation probably for a whole episode. Uh, <laughs> yeah. but that's that's probably the other piece of it. Hmm? I mean, so uh, with this, then what, what what are the key risks and challenges uh, that are associated with DeFi right now? uh for the coming future of course regulation is a part of it but then also the the need for the development of better infrastructure and ui and etc uh, yep. what, what, what's your perspective on this uh so i think number one is uh smart contract risk so there were billions of of hacks of smart contracts and that's one of the the challenges with with you know almost having this this really nascent stage of a new technology typically um, you don't have like this combination of a startup, open source technology, and like really, you know, lots of lots of value um, involved. And so we really need like uh, audit standards around smart contracts. And so I think that will help to, to get the regulators a little bit more comfortable that retail um, is protected and there's some sort of um, standardization and process around around audits. So that's probably number one to like, build you know public confidence in DeFi. Um, and then I think it's just I think it's the scalability. So you, we're seeing more activity happening on layer twos. So you, you I think layer two trend there's about four percent of the transactions running through Ethereum now are going through layer two. So layer two is just creating more um, a better user experience, better execution services for applications uh, building on on Ethereum. So scalability, uh, audit contract audit um, standards for smart contracts, um, and then just uh, just you know new entrepreneurs coming into the space and building stuff that that people want to use. Like I don't think that people want to be convinced that Web three is um, like this this awesome thing. They just want to use something that they like using that is better than the alternative. And like if we can build those things, then then we'll we'll see this like this mainstream adoption uh, over time. Yeah, and uh, moving a little bit from this kind of abstract macro pictures with all these kind of uh, drivers and more kind of focusing specifically on a layer two application, for instance. Uh, what would you say are kind of the most? If you look into a you know a arbitrary project, what are the most important metrics or kind of indicators for? ensuring or to the extent you can do that that there is a health in this in, like this project is, is characterized by 
a kind of inherent health. It's a healthy project. It's 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 not a scam, but not only that, it's actually something which can kind of um, aggregate value over time. Yeah. Yeah. So specific to like a DeFi, I think it's it's can be the metrics that I would look at would be slightly different depending mm -hmm. on yeah. where you're looking in the in the in the tech stack. But I would say for like a DeFi protocol, um, liquidity is like the most important thing. So you can always look at total value locked. Um, total value locked, uh, you know, at its at its surface can be misleading at the same time because it can be kind of manipulated. Um, and it's dependent on the dollar value of the crypto assets that are in there. So um, I, I try to look more into like what assets are involved with that total value locked, how much of the native asset of the blockchain is is in there. Um, and like, what is the history of that? Like, is there tons of volatility if you just look at the amount of like ETH that's locked versus the value of it? Um, so I'm looking at at total value locked. Um, you certainly like daily active users, right? And so there's ways to um, to look at some of this data through like, you know, dashboards like Token Terminal. I use Arcana is another one that, that I use. It's really good. Um, but you can, you can kind of pull insights out of the blockchain based on interactions of unique wallets with the smart contracts. And so mm -hmm. that can give you a proxy for like a daily active user. So you need to see that, you know, you know, ramping up and and, and more users um, that leads to revenues. So then you start to look at, okay, like how does the business model work? Um, what are what are users paying for? Um, and, and kind of and kind of look at the actual you know revenues that are occurring. Are you um, running uh, regressions as well and like doing more kind of with with the data? Yeah, so the, that's exactly it. So that's when I talk, you know. I do consulting services around mm -hmm. these topics and help people wrap their heads around these new business models. And, and so, yes. So like, I only focus on things that have cash flows. so I can uh, look, you know, historically at what has occurred and, and then you can sort of like extrapolate from that and, and, and forecast various cash flows. You can run discount cash flow analysis, um, do different absolute versus relative valuation analysis, things like that. So they are different um they, they 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 these business models are different from what we typically look at but they but the you can never escape just sound economics right like at the end of the yeah. day it has to has to make money um and there has to be a real business model behind it so um so i really focus there but those are the things i think for defi revenues users um and then uh i forgot what was the first one i had What's that? Liquidity. Yeah. yeah. Liquidity. Um, those are, those are probably the three. The, the one thing I would say, like you mentioned, like, how do you know it's not being spoofed, right? Like how, how do we know like it's real activity? Um, looking at token incentives, right? So mm -hmm. a lot of DeFi projects will use their native token, which is like the treasury assets of the protocol, and they will issue airdrops and, and incentivize various behaviors. And so if you can keep, if you can track that, and compare that to what's happening with revenues. So like sometimes you will only see revenues increase when they are just dishing out, um, you know, incentives, token incentives. Yeah. You don't you don't want to have a high correlation. You, know? you don't want to see a high cor correlation yeah. between that. I, I look for projects that have, um, that are basically capitalized by user activity versus those token incentives because the token incentives always end. And if they end and the users leave, you never actually had any product market fit. So you, you need to figure out like, do they actually have product market fit? And the only way to assess that is if the if the project is being capitalized by users and not the token incentives.
do you do you see any issues with how the majority of these products use their native tokens as the underlying uh, you know uh, incentive uh, for many of these user activities etc or even uh, rewarding uh, users or whatever for uh, cash in regards to cash flow generated uh, are there any issues with that since uh, often uh, th there has been some criticism in regards to having so many different native tokens uh, in the market rather than any underlying, for example, stablecoin or etc. that it creates so much volatility uh, within uh, that uh, project or application. Yep. Yeah. So I think there's two kind of angles to look at this. And, and I try to focus on, I separate like the layer one blockchains versus like the apps. Right. So to me, a layer one has to have a native token. Um, and 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 the reason for this is you you need that to basically bootstrap the network. Um, you could use, I guess, dollars or whatever, um, but it would be much harder to get uh, to 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 like incentivize people. So what I think is interesting about like a layer one is they can issue a token. And then the token obviously is like the sort of the pseudo equity, sort of like a startup issuing um, equity to the early employees, but you can actually take those tokens and also incentivize like what we were talking about, liquidity providers, ecosystem partners, other vendors that that project uh, needs to like sort of um, make, make the project a success. So layer one blockchains, and then you use that token to pay for services within the layer one. Um, though that token model is very clear to me. And what I, what I try to look for there is like the po a positive feedback loop between uh, usage of that blockchain, and then how does that impact the tokenomics, right? For like Ethereum, for example, you have a as the as the network gets used more, more of the native token gets a percentage of the the transaction fee gets burned. So it's almost like an automatic stock buyback program. Mm -hmm. So like imagine if like Amazon just like bought back its stock as it sold more products and services. So that's pretty interesting feedback loop. So that's kind of how I think about layer one blockchains. Like that token model is very, very simple. Uh, to me, it's very clear. And you can you can you can sort of like separate the good projects for the bad from the bad ones based on how they structure the token. Um, when you move up the tech stack to like a DeFi project like Aave, for example, or Uniswap, you know, those tokens are not used to like pay for services. Right. The token is really just uh, a governance token yeah, today. Like equity. Yeah, it's, it's kind of like it's pseudo equity, right? Like yeah. traditional equity, you would you you have like a legal right to interest payments, dividend payments, mm. to uh, liquidation preferences if the company goes out of business. And so that is traditional equity. Tokens do not give you those things. Um, it's more, OK, I have this token. It's 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 it doesn't give me a legal right to anything, but it allows me to vote on the direction of that protocol. Um, but what we talked about earlier with the new business models is that the value is pushed to the periphery, right? So for for example, Uniswap um, has done billions of dollars in revenue over the last 365, or maybe a little bit less than a billion over the last 365 days. But the protocol has not captured any of that, right? And so if you're if you're a traditional equity investor and you and you own uh, a legal right to the cash flows that, that they're capturing, then you would say my share is worth zero because mm. they, they didn't capture any of the actual activity. 
Now, this is something I have to work through like with my clients and how, how they think about valuing these things. Because to me, that network created a billion dollars of value. Mm. It was just pushed out to the service providers, the liquidity providers. And so if you own a token and you don't expect interest payments, dividend payments, liquidation preferences, now you have a different framework for how you're thinking about valuing that network. And you're valuing it based on the utility value that it creates for the service providers and the users. Um, and so it's a totally different way to think about valuation. Um, and and it, the other interesting piece of this is like in traditional you know, companies, they have a legal obligation to uh, return value to their shareholders, right? And so they have to try to extract as much value from the network inward as they can. In DeFi or in Web3, they don't have that same obligation. So they can just try to create the most value for the users and the service providers. And so you can just focus on that. And if the investors are not expecting interest and dividend payments, they're just looking at on-chain activity and looking at how much, how many users, how many revenues, total value locked. And it's a different, different way to think about valuing um, a network. So for Uniswap, you know, the fact that they don't capture um, a percentage of the value being created today, it doesn't matter to me. Uh, I'm looking at the total value they're creating, the total utility value they're creating for service providers um, and, and their users. So, Do you think there's going to be a further development in terms of the valuation models used uh, to uh, value these different uh, protocols and applications, et cetera? I think so. And yes, I think we're like, we're right at the, we're like pioneering this uh, currently. And most people have not wrapped their, their heads around this. And I hope that regular regulation starts to like bring some clarity to, to what's um, to standardization for, for how we can do this. But a hundred percent, you know, I think um, these concepts need to be sort of well understood. And then once once that's the case, once we have more disclosures, regulations around it, I think that the market will start to like coalesce around certain ideas. And and um, we're seeing that it's happening in real time. It's just it's just kind of slow. Um, but yeah, we're gonna end up with new new ways to think about valuation of like on-chain businesses. Yeah, uh, and just a bit before moving to different uh, other some other dimensions of this topic, I just uh, have to ask you: What are your kind of no investment advice? But what are your kind of most interesting for you interesting uh, DeFi applications right now? And what what kind of you touched upon it a little bit in the in the beginning? But what kind of future applications do you see that we do not that maybe our the market doesn't cover right now? For instance, insurance, but maybe even other other areas. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I mainly focus on the, like the blue chip stuff. So like, like I said, we're, we're so early in this and, um, uh, we're just a couple years into like these things actually getting like, like users and, and some revenues. And so I prior, primarily focus on the blue chip. So I like, like Ave for lending and borrowing MakerDAO. Um, I look because I'm primarily anchored to like cash flows and like mm. good token models. Um, those, this is where I, I tend to focus. I, li I like Uniswap. Um, again, not investment advice, but I'm just sharing kind of how I think about these business mm -hmm. models, users, um, and kind of like the network effects that are that are happening around these things. Um, something that's interesting about like blockchain businesses, even layer one blockchains themselves, is that they tend the 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 ones that start to win early 
tend to keep winning i've i've observed like even though this is all open source code and you can you can fork a an application or fork a blockchain um the network effects tend to hold pretty well so the ones that are early that establish product market fit tend to sort of hold on to that um i think it's interesting that uniswap has been forked many 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 times and it just it still like dominates uh in terms of the liquidity um so yeah i try to focus on the the like the blue chips and just stay anchored to cash flows good business models user growth those types of things um as far as like what's coming i'm i'm really looking for like that like like robin hood uh, as like a very popular like web2 application to to say like okay we want to plug into uniswap or something that like i want to see like an integration where uniswap starts to look like its infrastructure or or um you know you've seen uniswap they like bought like genie which is an nft aggregator so there's like sort of like expanding a little bit horizontally um, and trying to integrate with like another sector of Web3, you know, they're they're developing a wallet. So they're integrating, you know, upwards in the tech stack. So I'm just looking for like the network effects around these protocols to continue to grow to, to help me understand like where it's going. And then I try to just pay attention to the new stuff that's that's being built. So like there's a protocol called Volts, which is very new. It just launched last year, I believe. And they are focused on interest rate swaps. And mm. so that, again, becomes like infrastructure for a lend-borrow market like MakerDAO or Aave, where potentially you could start to see um, like fixed rate lending come to those protocols because there's another new thing that's infrastructure that they can leverage. And because it's all composable, you can start to see like this build out around that. Um, you know, Ethereum and like the the current stake rate on Ethereum. And that's a, like a pretty much a real yield. It's one of the only real yields in crypto. Um, I'm really hoping that that starts to form the basis of a yield curve, right? Mm. So all of a sudden that's sort of your risk-free rate, the 5% stake rate currently. So if that's the like the lowest risk yield in DeFi, then that should be like your Fed funds rate. And then... Mm you know, the rates that you see on Aave and, and other places should be higher than that. And there should be like an actual yield curve. So yeah. these are some of the developments that I would like to see start to, to play out. Um, as far as like, I I don't think we'll see, um, I don't think, think we'll see like this huge influx into of institutions in until we get regulation, until you have those KYC AML, AML pools, yeah. um, until you solve some of the issues around like, uh maximum extractable value uh and some of the issues like privacy privacy exactly so that's kind of how i i see it. kind of a rambling answer but kind of how i see yeah it. but uh, i like it i just i just yeah. it's so interesting because i kind of uh, it's we, we it's easy to see where we're coming from like from this traditional finance background and yeah. sort of to simplify it like taking kind of the concepts and just transferring them to a world which is which is more efficient, transparent, and fair, essentially, because we will probably need and want to have the same kind of timeless, you know, applications as always, like insurance. We, you know, everything will stick around, but in a different format in some sense. Yeah. And I think that's something where a lot of people are missing out. That I think like this is a totally new world, changing everything. But 
at the same time for institutions to adopt it we, it can't be too different it just needs to be better right it just needs to be better exactly and like one of the you know i think it is better and like that's yeah. really what i anchor back to like what is the benefit of like digital assets or yeah. crypto assets versus traditional assets and when you think about the plumbing of the financial system and how you can essentially bundle services on blockchains where like ethereum becomes like the light the settlement which is like you know that's handled by like large cor corporations like the dtcc where they handle all of the settlement for finance ethereum is a settlement layer right it's also a custody provider it's also smart contracts which are like transfer agents right so mm -hmm. you, you when you see that it actually brings these efficiencies and it bundles services together i, I can have conviction that like okay that that is a step change that will that will eventually be expressed um, in the market. And it just mm -hmm. takes a lot of time with all the infrastructure to be built out, regulation, you know, education, all these different things. It'll just take a lot of time. But it's clear that there's a step change and true in it, true efficiencies, um, true business models being created here. So mm -hmm. I just have to ask you one more question connected to kind of your views, because mm -hmm. it's interesting to see, also given your background in traditional finance, to hear your views on on Bitcoin on the other side, like on if like from a little bit outside this world, but still connected. Sure. Uh, because there, there are different camps, right? Some camps are more like DeFi only, Bitcoin is kind of not needed, and there are so many issues with Bitcoin. And some people are more like yeah, dif different purposes. Bitcoin is going to be money in some sense to in more into comp like competing with the traditional currencies, while this is kind of as I said, trans trans transferring. The traditional finance into a better version but not being like ethereum not being money so to say uh so so what's your views here do you see a competing like where where you see bitcoin going down relative to ethereum over time or do you see it's do you see like it serves a valuable purpose still yeah it's a great question and yeah it's one that i think is pretty hotly debated yeah. <laughs> uh from my perspective i don't come at this and i i, I share a lot of content on linkedin that's like mostly where I, I do some writing. Um, and I I observe like there is like this like religious, like sort of like element and like cult-like behavior with like blockchains. And so um I do get attacked by Bitcoiners and and it's interesting because I'm I'm like I, I'm a big supporter of Bitcoin. Um and so like the Good way that I, yeah, I'm a, I'm a supporter <laughs> of all of it. I just try to like see everything with clear eyes, right? I don't have like any like Ide um, ideology or anything behind mm -hmm. things, but I just try to see it with clear eyes. And I view Bitcoin as like very separate and distinct from everything else um, in in crypto. So I I think it's uh, it's it does to me like it fits like the digital gold narrative. And like yeah. I I started investing in gold in two thousand eight two thousand nine. So Bitcoin was very like easy for me to kind of wrap my head around when I started studying it. Um, and I can't, I have a really hard time poking holes in Bitcoin, to be honest. Like, I think it's really, really solid and it does one thing. It does it really <laughs> well. And it's starting to build out on like the scaling solutions and stuff. So you could see it like actually become like this global, you know, payment network. Mm. Um, and now we're seeing NFTs, on yeah. Bitcoin, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Um, so Bitcoin to me has merit. It's here for, it's here to stay. I, I don't really have a really strong take on like, is Ethereum going to uh, become the number one, you know, market cap, things like that. I think possible in the next five years or so. And I don't really have a, 
a, a bet um, on that. But I, I view Bitcoin very separate and distinct. Plenty of merit there. I think proof of work uh, absolutely has merit. And I think probably the most interesting thing about Bitcoin is its relationship to the physical world with through proof, proof of work mining mm -hmm. and like energy. Like I yeah, think that's yeah. incredibly fascinating. And I think most of the conversation is around the energy consumption. I think that's misguided because what, what I'm seeing here in the States is that it, it, there's like a symbiotic relationship between the need for a location agnostic, like load demand resource for the grid and Bitcoin miners, right? Bitcoin mm. miners are the only like high load intensity, location agnostic load resource that can just go wherever there's excess energy and mop it up and create like a uh, a balance of supply and demand for the grid, yeah. which is very fascinating. Um, yeah, like from a from a free market standpoint, I think that's just beautiful, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's really interesting, especially with like we're going through this transition. Uh, you're seeing this in Texas here in the states where they're trying to implement a lot of like wind energy and, and solar mm. energy, and so that's kind of disruptive when you're trying to like bootstrap this new energy resource and like reduce demand of of more like fossil fuels and stuff so they're able to use bitcoin miners to like build out the infrastructure of the wind right so they're producing a lot of wind a lot of times it's excess energy and so bitcoin miners go and they mop up that energy that capitalizes the grid operator allows them to build out the infrastructure for that wind so i think it's fascinating um i guess long story short is i think bitcoin's here to stay as is like the rest of the space so you have Bitcoin's like a store of value, monetary asset, maybe it turns into something else. And then you have Ethereum, smart contracts, sort of like the whole Web3, um, you know, new internet type thing mm. happening. Um, and I think that's just like totally separate. Yeah, totally agree. Yeah. And I guess to quickly move back into the past, uh, I, I was really curious to see your perspective on the effect that uh, the Luna and FTX situation will have on uh, DeFi. Because of course, fundamentally, it's not really DeFi uh, to a certain extent, or at least the issues uh, that came from them uh, were, wasn't as a result of DeFi, but it may have a huge effect on the uh, perception of the space. So what are your thoughts uh, in that regard? Um, yeah, um, it's it's unfortunate, like all the things that happened in 2022 with, uh, I think it started Terra Luna was the first one that went down. And then there was a ripple effect with, centralized entities that were were like essentially taking customer deposits and then doing um you know questionable activities using like terra luna or using other other applications or lending money to hedge funds that were then speculating on terra luna anchor protocol so really all of the carnage happened with the centralized entities because we didn't have transparency into like what they were doing with customer deposits which is really the benefit of DeFi, where you know if you if you deposit into these smart contract pools, they are transparent and there's no counterparty risk because you're just well the, the counterparty risk is the smart contract functioning properly, right? So the, there is mm -hmm. no um, you know if 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 somebody's if somebody's collateral is dropping and the market's dropping, the smart contract just liquidates you and returns your returns the money back to the lender. So, so nobody lost during all of that volatility. The DeFi protocols worked really well because um, they just, they just, they're just smart contracts, just liquidating people, and it just did that very orderly. Um, for that reason, like 
you see crypto markets are like incredibly reflexive where the, the system can lever itself up really fast and lever itself down really fast in a somewhat mm. of an orderly process. That's impossible in traditional finance because, you know, uh, we don't have the transparency into, into what's going on. And typically once things start to go haywire, there's phone calls, Hey, I need you to, you know, pay back the loan or top off your collateral and then they're going around trying to find money and like it's a it's a messy process and you just don't have that with DeFi. It just DeFi doesn't care. It's just gonna it's just a smart contract and it's gonna just liquidate you. So I think that was a fa fascinating dynamic that played out. DeFi performed very well, but I think what's clear is like the perception of the market doesn't really see like the Wall Street Journal writes articles like saying that like DeFi is the problem, right? DeFi to me is the solution. Um, and so I, I don't know the answer to that. I think it's a, I actually wrote, um, I tried to um, touch base with a, a journalist at the Wall Street Journal to try to help help him understand the difference. And he, he like, wasn't interested. Uh, he did respond to me, he did get back to me, but he wasn't interested in uh, having a conversation about it. But um, yeah, it's, it's unfortunate that that's the perception. Um, but I think if you just look at the facts of what's what's happened, um, you can see that like DeFi is sort of the the solution, and it, it was the same thing with FTX. You know, lack of transparency mm -hmm. leads to um, leads to you know a lot of issues with 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 you know taking yeah. customer deposits and uh, and and doing things that you shouldn't be doing with them. So I think the regulators are coming in and and they're going to clean up the centralized. So what you're seeing now with a lot of the regulatory activity is all focused on centralized entities that take customer deposits which is good that's exactly what we want um and as long as they stay away from regulating the DeFi protocols we're fine right it's just yeah. if you're building a business that leverages those protocols you need to follow certain rules and regulations but the protocols themselves are running uh they're running themselves and we have transparency in how that how that works so yeah there was a line that stuck to me when i read a newsletter from a16z which was a uh, regulate business, not software. Yes, I think exactly. that applies yeah. perfectly here. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's a perfect way to phrase it. Yeah. So I guess uh, we'll start delving into the outro. A bit. Yeah, we are running yeah. out of time. It's so it's so fun to talk. Yeah. We could talk for yeah. hours. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So I guess to start off, uh, how can students or young professionals get involved with this DeFi space, either as users or developers? Great question. Uh, I just gave uh, a couple some guest lectures at a, a local university here, and there's a lot of interest from from young people in this space. And I would say that um, we're so early. And one of the challenges myself that I had with trying to move my career in this direction was, you know, we're so early, and most of the need is in the developer engineer mm -hmm. space, right? So if you're not a coder, it's a little bit harder to to find. Uh, a niche where you can add value. So yeah, we feel that. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So um, I think, you know, for me, what I, what I started doing was just writing and that was a way for me to like contribute. Right. So just get your thoughts out there, find other people that are writing or that are doing podcasts or that you guys are, you know, getting involved with this podcast. That's great. I think it's just getting involved with, with the community, finding the niche that interests you the most then just finding ways to to add value right like whether it's writing whether it's a podcast whether it's um you know partnering with somebody else and helping maybe it's an engineer 
that needs to get like his idea out into the world and like you just help that person uh so i think it's just finding people that you can you can complement your skills with um and yeah there's plenty of opportunity out there i think the market's unfortunately like there's not as much hiring going on right now because of the we're in like the kind of a bear market but um i'm seeing like at the sort of foundation level like i haven't seen like any indications that like the momentum that was achieved during like 2021 is going away like i'm just seeing you know more venture capital being poured into the space um more businesses being built and so i think that we're going to see the fruits of that um in the next the next bull market when the liquidity returns but yeah just just find a way to get involved so i think getting started with with podcasts is is a great way to great way to do that And the key word there is community. Uh, there is a really huge and unique community where people are super open within the space from people yep. that are uh, have ideologies in regards to Bitcoin or Ethereum or just right. people like you that have a, uh, that are just trying to add value and have a very uh, neutral and unique perspective on the world. Yeah, it's a cool mix of people you can get to know, actually. And yeah. just the fact how you can reach out to people like... Now I uh, I hope you would have answered the same way if you worked at the hedge fund or something similar. But like just how how that space is kind of both culture wise, but also kind of it's you know regular in the sense that like you can, maybe can't talk so much because you want to outperform competitors and so forth. But it's just so cool that like you just we I just wrote out wrote, wrote to you on LinkedIn and you answered like yeah I'm down to this. It's, it's like a community which I've never been to before while we are young, but still like like everybody is so helpful and really wants to kind of cap it like um, one plus one equals to three, right? So like everybody yeah. wants to leverage from each other, and I think that's beautiful. Hundred percent, yeah. I think I've I've noticed the same thing, and um, so if you if you can find ways to add value, people will absolutely work with you. So. Um, it's just, yeah. And, and I think the other piece I would just add in is like, just educate yourself, right? There's, it's very easy to be um, lazy about like reading different things and other people's opinions, but the best way is to, to find a way for you to like understand things from first principles so that you can then have conviction about, you know, the direction you're going to go, whether it's your career path or if you're going to make investments or, um, you know, what, whatever it is, understand from first principles and then and then build from there. Yeah, uh, and then as a final final question here, uh, you don't need to answer this kind of connected to crypto or digital assets, uh, but it's fun if you do. But uh, it could be life in general. If you only had one last statement to to leave the listeners with in this podcast uh, that is important for you or could be a valuable lesson, what would that statement be? Great question. Um, I think for me, it's it's stay curious. Like I I, that I like I when I write my uh, my newsletter, like I always just end everything with stay curious because to me that that just allows you to be open to what's happening around you. If you're if you're curious, you avoid like judging new things, new ideas. You you keep your mind active and and open. So um, I just wish more people would just be curious and have less like really strong opinions about things that they maybe don't have enough information about so so just stay open stay curious and um yeah that's kind of my my philosophy perfect beautiful Uh, i think i think that's a kind of perfect approach to have in this constantly changing world and especially the DeFi and and digital assets space where can people find you uh online 
Yeah, so um, I, I write on LinkedIn almost daily. So that's kind of, um, I know most of the crypto conversation is on Twitter. I, I have a Twitter account, but I just like haven't spent enough time building that up. Yeah. So I focus on LinkedIn, which is, it kind of suits more like the 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 audience that I'm going for and, and kind of institutions. So I'm on LinkedIn, you can search Google, uh, Michael Nato. Um, and then I write the DeFi report, which is a newsletter. Um, and at that, at that there's two free reports that go out per month. That's so some exciting stuff coming with the DeFi report. I'm now full time on the DeFi reports. So I left my startup uh, a couple months ago, so I'm full time there. And you can just Google Michael Nato, the DeFi report. You should be able to find that. And then Thanks I provide so. provide consulting services um, as well you know, around like valuation frameworks, really helping um, VCs, hedge funds, institutions like wrap their heads around crypto and, and develop a framework for, for, for analyzing crypto. So, um, so that's, that, that's, that's it. Perfect. Uh, links will be in the description, of course. And yeah. uh, thank you so much for uh, letting us have you on. It was a fascinating uh, discussion. It was a pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thanks for having me guys. Take care. Disclosure, some digital asset society members are invested in certain tokens, coins, or NFTs which may have been spoken about during this episode. These statements are intended to disclose any conflict of interest and should not be misconstrued as a recommendation to purchase any coin, token, or NFT. This content is informational purposes only, and you should not make the investment decision based solely on it. This is not investment advice. Always do your own research. If you want more from digital assets, visit our website or medium, as well as our social medias, all linked in the description.